passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind to Raw. It's John Pollock here alongside waiting uh, for a show that will wait what are we going to talk about um i guess i guess a few things happened on raw um there's a covid-19 test in WWE and we're going to have a guest on the show there's an insane lawsuit involving WWE um i don't know where to start my head's spinning dude there's so, there's there's so much to talk about and i mean we just saw the greatest wrestling match ever. So, I mean, shit, the, the news and the monumental events just don't end in the world of pro wrestling. Uh, you, as you mentioned, John, we'll have WH Park on uh, a little bit later on in the show talking about the return of New Japan Pro Wrestling and their Together... What, what do they call it? Together Special? Together Project. Together, together project. project, of course. Two random words that, uh, you know, fit wonderfully grammatically together. <laughs> uh, the Together Project. Uh, we'll be talking about that with WH a little bit later on. We'll be getting to some of your feedback, but first, maybe we should just dive right into the news. Yeah. So this this just broke uh, towards the end of Raw. Um, this is the statement from WWE's Associate Medical Director, Doctor Jeffrey Dugas, a developmental talent who was last on site at WWE's training facility on Tuesday, June the ninth, has tested positive for COVID nineteen. Since that time, no other individuals that attended the facility have reported symptoms. However, out of an abundance of caution and to ensure the health and safety of the company's performers and staff, all talent, production crew, and employees on site at the training and production facilities will be tested for COVID-19 immediately. Following the test results, WWE plans to process with its normal television production schedule. Or, sorry, WWE plans to proceed with its normal television production schedule. Um, so this, uh, first of all, out of the abundance of caution, all the people that may have been exposed, we are going to go and have them tested. Like, no kidding We're, that these people should be tested. Like, that to me is not going above and beyond. That is, to me, an absolute that anyone that could have risked exposure uh, to this individual who is not named, of course they should be tested. Um, I do not know when they uh, learned of this. They were able to track the last time they were at the training facility, uh, but I don't know when they were actually, uh, they found out about this positive test. And on top of that, this comes on the day where they allowed a limited number of people, non-NXT trainees, to sit in the crowd section today as well. Um, 
I would say that if they were aware of this test, um, I, I think that would have been grossly irresponsible if they had known this when they were making that decision. I would – anyway, um, there, yeah. there's a lot to take from all this. Well, I mean, I if this was a restaurant, if this was, you know, even a hospital, if this was like any other facility but a professional wrestling company, I, I think you would expect that standard. But um, I don't know. Who knows? Because clearly this show was done uh, from, I would assume, that SmackDown tomorrow or uh, sorry, Friday would have been taped as well tonight. Correct. Yeah, they were they were doing Raw and SmackDown today, this yes. week's episodes. So yes. I, I think we can assume that both of those shows went without any sort of interruption. Um, and so the question of when they would have discovered this is, is certainly is we don't know. It would be really yeah yeah we we don't know. And but this what the the news came out right after Raw. Uh, this was just before Raw ended. Okay. So, like, you know, within 15 minutes of Raw ending was when I saw it. And, of course, they have tapings tomorrow as well, don't they? Correct, yes. So, when they say that following the test results, WWE plans to process, proceed with its uh, normal television production schedule. That That is, I guess, saying they are going to test either right now or at the start of tomorrow and wait for the results to come back before proceeding with the tapings. I, I don't know what your your timeline is. I mean, it takes, you know, it it seems to be like the timeline to get like COVID-19 testing back is, you know, one to two days. Yeah. I mean, we also don't know what type of test though, though you know? Well, th- this is not going to be just like antibody testing. This to me would have to be the full COVID-19 testing that you would have to get, get administered because you want to know if it's, if it's active, um, mm-hmm. you, you maybe you know, in a, in addition to the antibody testing, but it really does them no good to know if uh, you have the antibodies, you may have the active virus. There is that that chance, even if it's a small one. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, something like this, honestly, it was, was, again, like really bound to happen, you know, at some point. And we, we shall see how they deal with it. We shall see if any other cases pop up. They've, I, w- I would say, have certainly been on a very, like, lucky streak this entire time uh, without... Any, I would say, publicly known cases, and so we shall see if there are any, you know, larger repercussions. I mean, I think what you know, certainly a bigger question coming out of this is: should WWE be implementing testing at all times? I think the answer to that is a hundred percent yes. I think that there should have been testing from from the get go, and not just temperature checks. Um, you know, this I, I don't know what the circumstances are around how this unknown person. Um, were they developing symptoms and did, did they go check themselves out and get a test c- conducted on their own? I mean, what was what was the impetus for this person to go get a test done? Because if they were asymptomatic, I mean, who, who's to say um, how often they had been at the PC and when – because there could have been a lag between when the symptoms developed and when this person contracted the virus. Sure, yeah. Um, so yeah, we'll follow the story and, you know, um, we'll, we shall see how things proceed tomorrow. Um, another thing, and it, and it was uh, brought up to me tonight is as well, that as we're seeing not just the trainees, uh, that we've seen for weeks, but tonight, you know, utilizing non-trainees as well. It was like, um, Brian Alvarez had reported this, that a small number, uh, were going to be, um, brought into the PC for the tapings, 
um, including some that I guess were friends of the performers. But it was a very small number. Uh, but as we watch all of these people weigh, uh, not one mask. We have never seen one mask on WWE programming. And I, I can't speak to whether that is a, a policy or not, but it's very evident as a viewer at home watching this and you're seeing uh, no masks. And that's something we cannot say about other shows we're watching now, whether it be UFC, New Japan, All Japan. I mean, all these other places that are doing these empty arena shows. I have not seen one mask on WWE programming. Well, I I, I don't like the one time I, I do recall seeing a mask was when Hunter did that like um, anniversary celebration deal. And then he was about to spit that water. And then there was a PA wearing a mask who was there to right. basically like, you know, play sort of like It's uh, almost like a sight gag. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Like you're right. He's they representing did, they did have that. He's representing like the government, you know, mandating him to not spit mm-hmm. that water. But, you know, we don't know if like people behind the scenes are wearing masks. I would certainly hope so. I I mean, I, I haven't really paid attention to whether or not the cameramen are, but we absolutely know I think we could say that none of the NXT performers that are sitting in the crowds are wearing a mask. And I, and I like I feel like that isn't that the case with AEW as well? Like, didn't you, have you seen any of, like, the, the roster wore masks? Only, uh, I mean, Jake had one, uh, and then somewhat. Took it off. But, and but again, took it off. but they do have testing. Like, they, they, they are testing everybody. And the Bucks, even on, on being the lead again, mentioned today that they are going through tests every single time. And that's something. And, and the Bucks have been wearing masks you've seen on on their videos and such. But yeah, on, on TV you're not you're not seeing them. But yeah, right. they are doing the COVID nineteen tests. I, I think regardless, I, I think that masks. I think more and more it's becoming like you should have a mask, especially on. if you're not testing. That is really the big difference here. And you know, mm-hmm. some people have like brought up how like. Uh, well, New Japan's not doing all, all of these, you know, standard tests. Number one, they are doing uh, antibody testing, which uh, is, as far as we know, more than what the WWE is doing. Also, Japan and 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 how how what 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 the status of COVID nineteen in that country is no comparison to what the status of COVID nineteen is right now in America and specifically in Florida. Totally different cases. Um, so I, I I don't think you can make that comparison, and and I would say it it absolutely is like the responsible thing to do at the very least if you're not going to do testing to allow your 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 talents or or at least you know um offer masks available to your talent yeah so yeah quite a lot there um to process but as uh COVID-19 you know it's I don't want to say it's um people are becoming relaxed to it i think in some situations they are in others i think people are seeing like the certain spikes in in different regions but we're at this um kind of crossroads where i think many people are just ready to see a lot of reopenings and i think for you know our bubble of professional wrestling i think this is a a stark reminder that this is still a, a concern and in florida it's you know you're you're seeing you know a lot of cases as as well that are are popping up so you know the the WWE is not exempt from this and i think that this would certainly be that moment that i i think you would consider that testing to me i i think it should have been done from the get go uh, i don't know if that is going to change their procedure or they're just going to move forward with this and conversely does this one get any more attention than the one that essentially got swept under the rug back at the beginning of all this when there was a, a again an unnamed uh person in WWE who did get did test positive but that did not blow up to this big story um nowhere in comparison to you know when when Jacare Souza and his his cornerman did for UFC that was a much larger story 
I think the fact that they haven't been, you know, doing testing unlike AEW, unlike UFC, that might be an issue that is starting to come up. I feel like it's it's sort of gone under the radar because they haven't had any positive ca- cases. But I think now, you know, seeing what other companies are doing and the procedures that they're taking and WWE in contrast, you know, like perhaps even the biggest company out of all of them, choosing not to do testing yet, you know, allowing people to go into the crowds um, and just proceeding with like as many shows as they have. I certainly feel like that that's something that that will probably get get a, bit, a lot more attention. So from uh from there we move on to um a interesting lawsuit to say the least that is involving you know there's been several of these suits that have been filed against the WWE and they're all kind of alleging the same thing that uh shareholders were were misled by uh statements the company has made or lack thereof. And this is an amended uh, class action complaint that's being led by the uh, Firefighters Pension System uh, of Kansas City. And they're representing uh, several others as well. So it might be a case that they're kind of uh, consolidating a number of these into into one. But there was this new 140-page filing, and it covers – This period from February of 2019, February 7th of last year to February 5th of this year, and it's a series of complaints and things that they are alleging uh, the WWE to have uh, committed, and it goes back to their um, informing investors back in June of 2018 that they would be – they anticipated their revenue from – current and new content agreements to grow from 235 million to 435 this year and part of that included uh, their deal with the Middle East uh, where they were on this broadcaster OSN uh, that was up for a renewal in 2019 um in the in the suit they're alleging that a letter was sent by OSN in November of 2018 informing WWE that they're getting out of sports content and therefore there would be no renewal of this deal. And it ended up with the deal actually being terminated early at the end of March 2019. And what they are uh, bringing up here is the fact that they were not uh, – investors were not made aware of this until much later. And when they finally were in July um, – they kind of pivoted from okay the deal with OSN is not being renewed but we are we have an agreement in principle with the government of Saudi Arabia for a new deal in the Middle East and uh, North Africa region so an agreement in principle they believe was certainly overstating what was factual that the two sides were grossly uh, at odds when it came to a dollar figure for this supposed deal where for the WWE's OTT service, they were asking for a reported $80 million in a licensing fee based off the projection that they would attract 100 million subscribers. Um, An insane figure when you think about it. And the broadcaster that they're negotiating with is the Middle East Broadcasting Center, NBC, who did their own research and they projected that they would get 6.5 million subscribers at most, which is a far cry from 100 million. So it was quite a distance for these two sides to meet. So NBC eventually uh, raised their projection to 10 million, then to 15 million, not because they thought they were realistic figures, but they just wanted to appease WWE and work out a deal. So WWE came down from an $80 million licensing fee that they would settle for $50 million. 
and NBC was saying we can't go above 14 and a half million. So gigantic difference. They were significantly apart. And now this kind of um, moves into another uh, event that occurred, and that was Crown Jewel last November, which we covered heavily. And what exactly went on that led to uh, wrestlers and personnel uh, being stranded? And we should mention that a big key to the suit is that they have two confidential witnesses, one of which uh, was uh, is an employee at this uh, NBC um, who is not named. And the other confidential witness is direct to this story about Crown Jewel, who is only listed as a wrestler that worked in the company from 2012 to this past April and wrestled on that Crown Jewel event back in November of last year. And they outline that initially um, he was told that the charter flight he was scheduled to leave on was delayed because the plane needed to be pulled around. After they boarded, they were removed from the airplane for 20 to 30 minutes, and this person spoke with the stewardess on the flight who told him, it seems someone doesn't want us to leave the country. From there, they were told about the mechanical issues, but this witness recalled seeing a ton of guards wearing black militia attire and wearing guns that were blocking their exit and staring at the wrestlers. The witness was aware that something was wrong and explained that a number of the other personnel were referring to this event as a hostage situation. The witness explained that he asked Mark Carano, who's their senior director of talent relations, what was going on. Carano told him that Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and Vince McMahon had gotten into an argument over late payments in connection to the Super Showdown event from from June of 2019. And Carano also informed the witness that McMahon had cut the live feed for Crown Jewel and that this had made the crown prince very mad. So that is what is being alleged in this lawsuit. These are not proven, but the fact that they have a witness that it, it's a big difference from a from someone that is willing to talk about this privately and someone who, in theory, you would think would be willing to state this under oath as well. So I think it gives some credence to what we had heard last November, which this is very consistent with what we had heard from uh, Hugo Savinovich, what had been reported in other outlets as well. And um, the fact that, you know, there is, you know, this, if you look at this lawsuit, like this is, um, it's pretty much like there's some great detail that this suit has gone to to explain uh, the WWE's uh, business position and a lot of these allegations. So basically, a group of stockholders are complaining that WWE hasn't been as transparent about the Mina deal and as well as about, you know, what what happened, particularly in Crown Jewel. And here comes all this dirty laundry. And in concert with that is that what they believed were some unusual and suspicious amounts of stock that had been sold by executives in the company. Um, One of the examples is is Vince McMahon in early 2018 selling uh, a ton of stock. And of course, that was when he was launching the XFL. So I I don't know how you can, I I don't know if that's a a stretch to try and prove uh, what they're trying to allege. Maybe they can, but also there was like other stock sold and the defendants listed in this beyond WWE are Vince McMahon, uh, George Barrios and Michelle Wilson as well, who the latter two no longer with the company, but that's kind of the crux of this, that the shareholders believe they were misled and are pointing out these, um, these, the, the stock being sold. And I guess just 
this becomes interesting if this case goes anywhere, um, if it actually, uh, you know, materializes into into something um, or if it just quietly gets resolved. I guess that's the next thing to watch here. But serious allegations that are outlined in the in this lawsuit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, at the very least, it proves that um, the reporting that was done uh, by some great reporters during that time of Crown Jewel uh, you know, there's a, there's certainly validity to it. And, and I would say, according to this eyewitness, very accurate. Um, I think, you know, anybody who was doubting it, I, I really can't even say, cause we saw uh, like direct reaction from some of the performers that were there tweeting it out on the, on those particular days about their frustrations of being there. Not nobody specifically saying that, uh, they're in a hostage situation or anything, but certainly incredibly antagonistic to what the company line was. Um, and what was the company reaction? How did they try to, um, I guess, uh, remember like there was that big meeting. They, they did on, so this was when, you know, they were leaving on the Thursday. That was the day of crown jewel late Thursday. They get delayed. The Friday is the SmackDown where they bring all the NXT talent in. And then the Monday at raw, they had the big, um, locker wide meeting and pretty much just dismissed any like they they just like wrote this off like it was it's mechanical failures and it's just um you know they really tried to downplay it pretty significantly mm-hmm. and you know i i i i spoke with people that that week uh ones who were who were over there um for for the crown jewel event and you know there were people they they had their questions and there were some that like had they had questions like we did and others that were upset like it was um and i'm sure there was a large number of them as well when you saw the fact that um you had wrestlers openly tweeting about it that they had spouses tweeting about it you had the whole thing about you know the uh those that were uh that got to leave the country beforehand because they wanted the them top to 20 make the top 20 that they wanted because you did have smackdown the next night that um you had others left behind like that was that was one where you certainly questioned, like, how many of these people are not going to return? Um, but that said, I mean, this this deal with, with Saudi Arabia, all these things that have been outlined about, you know, late payments and this and that, um, you know, it seems that they like they're moving forward and they were quick to have that press release announcing, um, you know, we have uh, secured a deal. It's going to be two events guaranteed per year. And they have moved forward with it. They did one in February um, and they would have been planning for another one had the the shutdown not occurred. So there, there's no evidence that that deal is in any kind of jeopardy. But I would wonder how many performers are outright not wanting to return or have reluctantly uh, gone back because February, it's not like we saw, there was also a lot less like in terms of like bodies that they flew over there for the February Saudi Arabia card than usual. Like we didn't have like our 50 man battle Royal or uh, things like that. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, certainly. I think, you know, a case being public like this uh, will bring back up a lot of those probably very terrible feelings. A lot of that talent might might have felt. Uh, I, I imagine a, a, a big portion of, the, of that of that roster who was stuck there might, you know, or probably let go um, you know, for other reasons, not necessarily related to that. But um, it's it's been quite a while, I suppose, since then. Um, and Personally, I don't think much will really change. I mean, you know, this whole story always just has to do with how much power 
the talent really have and they have no power at all if this was you know a case where there is a union it would certainly be something that i think would be kind of like you know taken uh they would take a, a much deeper look at it um i think there'd be a much more you know more, more questions to be to be thrown around about what exactly happened during this period but there isn't and i don't expect really the story to honestly go that much further um, so I just got a note here. Uh, it sounds like this is just from from one source that the tapings on Tuesday are not going to be happening uh, for WWE. They're going to be conducting testing tomorrow, and they're hoping to resume on Wednesday. Gotcha. Okay. So that would be the latest uh, regarding WWE. So again, I'm just getting uh, that note now. So now NXT uh, t- it takes pl- takes place at Full Sail. That as far as we know, we don't know yeah, anything about that yet. NXT was set to be taping on Wednesday. So I guess in theory, I don't know how that would work if you could pull off doing Ron SmackDown Wednesday and NXT over at Full Sail. Like how much crossover there is between uh, crew and such if you could um, do all of it on, on Wednesday. But it sounds like they will not be taping on Tuesday. Well, how much of that crew that was set to be on NXT was present at the Performance Center? Yeah, you know. a great question. Yeah, so interesting. Okay. All right. And uh, yeah, and just uh, the latest was WWE confirmed Edge's torn triceps. We'll get into that on Raw, but he has since undergone surgery. So now we'll await uh, a timetable. It's probably going to be several months before uh, he is able to return, but the the surgery has already taken place. Oh, we saw it. It's yep. gruesome. We, we got to it. see his... His triceps, uh, the bone, uh, right there on Raw. And another injury as well is uh, Chris Statlander uh, confirming that she has a a torn ACL. So that's going to be um, a significant time out for her, which is unfortunate. Uh, She was involved in a a really strong tag match last week on Dynamite, and that appears to be the match it occurred in when she dove onto Kip Sabian. Hopefully it doesn't take her out for too long. Um, At the same time, you know, they seem pretty committed to her, so... Um, once she's back and ready, I imagine she'll just move right back into the same spot. Maybe hopefully even, you know, using the, the momentum of a return to even go further. All right. A lot of news. You can go to postwrestling.com to get the, uh, the latest, and we will now move on over to raw from the performance center. And we open things up and immediately we see the crowd and there are some new faces, uh, in the crowd who are, are clearly not NXT trainees. Uh, you don't think this like you know middle aged man is an, is is going to debut on NXT sometime soon? Uh, I I I'm not holding my breath unless he's maybe a masked ninja. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So they've opened it up. I mean, to what what did you say, John? Like friends and family and just. I I don't know what the exact like it sounded like it was like there were like legit fans here and some of them I think might have been like friends of you know performers or such it was obviously a very small number like Mm -hmm. it seemed like it was just that one section like it it seemed to be a very small number i do wonder like what 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 kind of went maybe behind a decision like that and and i do wonder if it had anything to do with perhaps some of the criticism that's been laid upon this like very very staged robotic nxt crowd um i felt the chance like were a bit more organic today i heard a jerry jerry chant during that lana lashley segment yeah, nothing like a you know twenty five year old chant to really um, scream twenty twenty at you. I guess Jerry oh, is timeless. On. Timeless. They'll be chanting that in twenty forty five. 
So Randy Orton comes out to begin the show, and he walks out, and Tom Phillips announces that Edge suffered a torn triceps, and this is where we see the photo from surgery. And I guess interesting in the fact that they did not go with the storyline of him being punted as the reason. Like, you had an easy explanation for it, but maybe they believe that let's just tell the actual story. People are going to know it's a torn tricep. So they went with that. The The punt was the punt was brought up, but that was not the reason for Edge's departure. It was the torn triceps. I mean, it, it seemed to perhaps just add to the devastation. Not only did he suffer a punt, he also suffered an injury that's going to take him out for months. Uh, I, I do wonder if they'll use it perhaps as an excuse, you know, for why he might have lost the, the, the end of the match. You know, it's something that they could rely on to say, hey, like if I didn't get my triceps torn, I could have had you something something to that extent. Uh, but I think there's something to the idea that it, this news is going to be out anyway. So maybe, you know, they'll just get the jump on it and be honest. Orton said he humiliated Edge and wrote the final chapter in his story of redemption. He gave him closure because he knew he would never be the competitor he once was. Randy wasn't the last man standing, but he stands here victorious after the greatest wrestling match ever, therefore making him the greatest wrestler ever. Great logic. Brilliant. I I think that's a great line to run with. I actually thought after the match that that's for a heel to win that match, that's a great tagline to run with. And Randy Orton is the perfect person to have that that moniker as the greatest wrestler ever. Love it. So he thanks Edge for reigniting the fire in him and feeling like the legend killer again because he took out a legend. He takes credit for ripping Edge's triceps clean off the bone and seems like you have another mountain to climb. And I hear that you're going to be cleared in July. Of 2029, <laughs> and I hope our paths cross again in another nine years. Uh, a great line here from Randy Orton, who, I mean, seems to have come out of this this program with Edge while the Edge feud is on pause. This feels like Randy Orton is at his hottest since, I would say, like the Vince McMahon punt angle of a decade ago. Like, oh, he just dude. seems to be... Um, on this fire. Is the- yeah, like he really feels like this is the most over he has been in probably 11 years. You know, there there's certainly been glimpses over the past several years, you know, of like greatness, you know, like I, I, like the, the Jeff Hardy thing was pretty good. Like even like the Wyatt stuff, I think for a time, you know, we remember it so poorly, but I feel like there are segments here and there where he was like, he showed like, like the AJ stuff. Did he do something with AJ or was that Joe? Anyway, I might be no, getting No, he, my... he did. Randy and AJ had the, the Mania program. I might be getting my family stalkers uh, mixed up here. But um, there, certainly there have been, like, you know, moments of greatness. But, like, nothing I would say that that's been completed with a great match. And I think a lot of people will agree, agree that last night's match was a great match. Regardless of what you consider to be a match. You know, it, it, whether or not it needed to be fully taped from start start to finish without any interruptions or if it was pieced together whatever it was a great performance and beyond that the probos have been on fire the character work has just been so excellent his poise his delivery his facial expressions he doesn't feel like he's playing the character he feels like he becomes the character and that's a level of control that you aren't seeing from anybody else uh certainly in the wwe or at least on raw and really within the, like, you'd be hard-pressed to find even throughout the entire industry. Christian interrupts him 
He comes out and calls Randy a son of a bitch. He says Edge's career isn't over. He's never going to quit because he will get his closure on his terms, not Orton's. Orton says, this is not about Christian. You're just jealous of Edge. And what you want is one more match. Christian denies this, and Orton knows he isn't medically cleared, but he has a way around that. An unsanctioned match. And he offers to have that match with Christian tonight, but the offer expires at the end of the night. And if you don't accept, well, I guess you're a coward. And Orton leaves, and leaving Christian to ponder whether this this was the way around it for for Daniel Bryan all those years. He could have just had unsanctioned matches year after year um, <laughs> to get around not being cleared. I mean, he really took the long way back to WWE when he should have just asked Randy. Randy had it right off the top of his head. Yeah, yeah, I didn't realize it was this easy, but but like the you know you have to get the person to agree, right? Like like what a active performer has to suggest it. Did Christian have to sign anything tonight? Is was there any hold harmless agreement? There was there was nothing of that. I think WWE. Verbal, I wonder how. Well, there was a verbal agreement. He walked out on stage and said, "I accept." I guess I guess they did get that recorded into the historical record. So, um, yeah, yeah, interesting story. You know, it's a it's a hook that I think, um, you know, of a of a man returning from retirement that you could even save it for a pay per view, but they decided to save it for Raw, and I think we would understand why by the end of it. But I thought it was a really good hook for this Raw. I mean, they this to me was the ultimate test of will anyone stick around for that third hour. Um, mm-hmm. Because, you know, you you could argue that this probably should have gone on maybe at the end of the second hour because, I mean, just, just nothing. That that last quarter is typically like the lowest every single week of all the quarters. Um, they put something huge into that final quarter. Uh, we'll see if Christian, uh, the tease of a Christian match would be enough uh, to hook people because, you know, Christian, I, I think that that means something to the audience. Um, it's not, you know, he isn't... Uh, a gigantic star, but I think that it was certainly a big hook. I would say. Well, the fact that you're getting the match, or at least they they suggested that you would be getting the match at the end, end of the night, rather than just you know getting a contract signing or a promo. Uh, I do wonder if if it would make any difference. After that, um, we go backstage and Charlie interviewed Angel Garza with Zelina Vega. They replayed the the final the. Final minutes of the Cruz Andrade match from Backlash. And tonight he's got a rematch with Kevin Owens. Andrade walked in, shook his hand. He hopes he beats Owens. And then uh, I don't know what he said here. I tried really hard to make it out and I listened to it three times. Uh, it seemed that he issued some kind of a, a warning to Angel Garza and Vega was distraught by this. Right. I, I, I took it to, to be some sort of like, you know, um, sarcastic good luck. You know, almost like. You cost me my match last night while trying to help me. Well, maybe I'll try to help you tonight. You know, that type of thing. So we had Kevin Owens and Angel Garza. It was uh, Andrade's music played, and he ends up coming out midway through the match. Uh, Owens just keeps attacking him. And then our prelude to the finish, the pants are off fairly early. He avoids the stunner, and Vega just gets tired of Andrade and Garza arguing. So she leaves. She's sick of this. Garza goes back to it to attack. It was weird. Early in the match, they uh, Tom Phillips noted that Kevin Owens has an injured left knee. Uh, but then later in the match, Garza's working on the right knee. So 
We we had our knees mixed up, it seemed. Uh, Owens can't hit the cannonball because his knee buckles. Uh, but then Andrade gets on the apron, distracting Garza, and it leads to Owens hitting the stunner and winning the match in 642. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, it was a match. You know, it was, honestly, I paid a bit more attention just to the angle. The match itself was just a way to get to it. I think at this point, I, I feel like Kevin Owens is sort of just... Well, this is not his storyline. You know? It's not, but the problem is he doesn't have a storyline. He just seems mm-hmm. to be the guy that is the utility guy for these different programs. And I, I feel that he is someone that, um, whether, it, you know, how how badly do they need a heel on SmackDown that I think he could be a significantly, he could be in a much better role than he is right now. This isn't an awful role, but to me, it's not utilizing this guy to his best abilities. I think there's there's certainly like there's always going to be the temptation to like revert Kevin Owens back to being a heel because we know he is one of the best at it. They they were doing pretty well with him as a babyface up until like COVID kind of like, you know, interrupted everything. And so I I feel like they'll see it through a little bit longer, but it does feel like that, you know, they haven't been able to build 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 them back up to that status for, you know, ever since he returned. So, yeah, they they could possibly do do that. Vega came back as they were arguing and said they need to start fighting together. They both want the same thing. So so they're either breaking them up or turning them into a tag team, you know. Either way, I, it seems like they're getting a new direction, which I think I'm happy to see because the, these two with Selena have been jobbed up for so, so many mo- weeks now. They've really quite, like, they felt pretty stagnant to me. So um, one of the big concerns I would say about, like, um paul Heyman leaving the show would be to see you know whether or not somebody who has been pushed recently like an angel garza or Zelina vega will continue to receive that attention and at least for this week it seems like they still are yeah and i think the the jury is going to be out on on some of these we'll see you know andrade and garza you know there was a time certainly that the show was almost being built around Zelina vega and her squad and that's 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 been uh, diminished but that wasn't overnight. That's kind of been um, a progression over the last month, I would say, of them kind of being um, ta- taken away from working with Drew McIntyre every week. They're like the B-level villains, you know, that, that Drew will beat up repeatedly to get to the, the pay-per-view. Yeah, they went from them to Lashley and MVP. So that was kind of the transition there. MVP is in the back with Lashley, and Sarah Schreiber tries to interview them which MVP says, we're not talking on the record. Why don't you go back to journalism school? And MVP says that Lashley was cheated out of his opportunity for the title the night before. So MVP and Lashley come out to the ring, and MVP says that Lana is always looking for attention and had to get involved. It's her fault that Lashley is not the champion, and if Drew has any integrity, he would give Lashley a rematch immediately. So Lana, craving the attention, comes out. And says it was Lashley's idea to banish her from ringside. <laughs> In the order of priorities, I colored my hair for you and I got a divorce for you. <laughs> she said that everything went wrong when MVP showed up. So MVP started yelling at her, calling her a thought. Yeah, he did, John. What'd you make of that? I mean, were you familiar with the term? Um, I'm sure I've heard it at some point on Riverdale, I would imagine. I'm sure that's been utilized. First time on Raw, I feel. 
Definitely a first. Yes, yeah. uh, we broke new ground so in this segment. I mean, it's certainly a you know a bit more modern. Um, I think I think I would appreciate it if they gave bitch a rest and replaced it with thought. She calls him a snake and said they were on a hot streak until MVP appeared, which was news to everybody. Lashley asks, "When was the last time you laced up a pair of boots or won anything? You're just busy getting likes and putting our personal life all over social media to and using me to become famous." And Lon informs Lashley, if you think I'm using you to become famous, if I wanted to be more famous, I would have slept with someone a lot more famous like Drew McIntyre. Oh, man. Lashley says, I want a divorce. And MVP is ecstatic at this news. So this is where the Jerry, Jerry, Jerry chance came out. And certainly it's a dated reference, but this, this was a segment straight out of 1999, man. And you know what? I was tremendously entertained. Yes, it's incredibly trashy. It's super just like lowbrow, like name calling type of shit. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm lowbrow because I I was tremendously entertained. You know, you have MB, MVP here who continues to be excellent. I thought Lana was really great too. The both of them are just like these really b- very big, very provocative personalities, and the two of them clashing together was made for a really explosive and I think a really compelling scene. Some some really good lines here. Divorce is a natural progression, you know, following a marriage. And certainly, um, I thought it was really funny when the announcer said it would be Lana's second divorce in eight months. What a, what, what a, what a heartwarming <laughs> statement from waiting. Divorce is the natural progression from marriage. For at least um, half the population, yeah. So, yeah, who, who delivered... The request for a divorce better, though. Bobby Lashley or Linda McMahon? Oh, God. No, Lana. A... <laughs> I want a divorce. <laughs> uh, yeah, Linda's would certainly be all time. Yeah. So that'll be a future segment. Um, the street, um, We go backstage, and Schreiber is with the Street Profits and Viking Raiders, and their rivalry has reached a stalemate. They had a common enemy in the Ninjas the night prior, and they said, Viking prophets assemble. And wait, I've got to say that you and I really just totally whiffed on a scene that was designed for us this week of all weeks when the four of them stood together and Ivar raised the turkey leg. Like he, here is the Viking raising. Oh, like Mjolnir. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I recognize that. Yeah. Well, he oh, like summoned it. It flew into his hand. Wow, I I really missed on that one on on Sunday. But it's, there you go. <laughs> there, you know what? It's one of those you have to watch many times to really grasp. I think. And then in walks Akira Tozawa with his ninjas, including Big Jordan. Yes, the return. Way he's back. He's back. This is like you know. I thought this would be a one-time thing, but here he is. No, he had Deacon Batista. The lessons have been learned. Let's put a guy with uh, tremendous potential. Uh, let's cover his face and dress him up as a ninja. That's, well, that's no, be- I mean, the difference is like Batista, you could see his face. I mean, this was essentially like, you know, like bring the local jobber out in a, in a luchador mask. It's going to be very hard to ever. Uh, well, listen, people will forget about this guy. I really do hope that this is not this guy's unofficial call up because like he's had a he's in the Braun Strowman um category where he had a handful of matches and then he's on the main roster. I really hope that this is just a joke that ran one night too many and it's not a sign of hey, here's this 
seven plus foot dude in developmental. Let's put him on TV. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would certainly hope that if they have somebody with that amount of potential that they wouldn't use him for a comedy angle dressed up in a ninja suit. So I'm hoping it's just for the sight gag and maybe a banter too. And that's it. Now, during this, we had, uh, oh, we'll get more with, with Tozawa. We'll get, we'll get to that later. So we have the Street Profits and Viking Raiders against Tozawa and the Three Ninjas. And uh, we've got Big Jordan on the floor. And they kill the ninjas, ending with Ivar and Ford hitting splashes off the top in a minute 15. But then Jordan gets into the ring with Tozawa standing in front of him. And it is quite the size discrepancy, I will say. When the big show comes out, and man, did you see this guy walking up the steps? Was it was it any different than before? Uh, this guy looks like someone who has had uh, hip surgery. Like, he was really, like, gingerly walking up these steps. It looked a little painful for him to be going up those steps. And maybe, just talk- maybe there were no railings, and he had to walk very slowly. Well, man, show just disposes of the ninja's... And stares at Big Jordan. And that's how this ends. I hated the the segment last night. Um, I thought it was really dreadful just having to sit through like somebody's really bad idea of what comedy is. Um, but this match I, I really didn't have any issues with at all. It was it was fun just seeing baby faces beat up like these generic ninjas with their big moves. And I think, you know, at this point, coming off of, like, that segment, I recognize this for what it is, and I can start to enjoy it for what it is. And that's just, like, slapstick can't be fun. It's superheroes versus ninjas. And it's relatively harmless. So, yeah. Um, we'll see where this goes with, with the ninjas, but it seems to be uh, something they're, they're going with here. In the back, um, Charlie is with Seth Rollins, and no one has seen Dominic. He came to the PC against Ray's wishes. And Seth is hoping that Dominic is going to show up because he has a message to convey to Ray. Christian is on the phone and he's talking to somebody, understands the risks and doesn't know what he will do. I thought the person on the other line was asking about COVID testing, but it could have been oh, anything. Man. Uh, oh, man. And no. he is... He cannot let Randy get away with this. Yeah. Then we had Seth come out. And I think to properly put this into context, Way, uh, did you see the text exchange between Ray and Dominic that got leaked onto Ray's Twitter account? I saw you t- posted. I did not actually see it. Oh, I, w- I was hoping you and I could, could uh, do a, a dramatic reading of these tweets if you would like to play Dominic. I, I will. Let me just give me a second. I'll bring it up. I actually have them right here. Okay. So if, so, you, if anyone missed these, these are on Ray Mysterio's uh, on his Twitter account. Uh, screen grabs of his text messaging conversation with son Dominic and learning of his son's whereabouts. First of all, I mean, is Ray Mysterio blind? Like, look at his, this font size. He's a big font reader. That's okay. Wow. Okay. Really big, though. Like, how do you even type? Like, this this thing takes up the whole screen. But anyway, let's go. Son, where you at? Don't worry. I just had to step out for a minute. All good. Okay. But where? I'm taking care of something. 
<laughs> and then I, I did Rollins, I send the gif? Rollins gif. <laughs> Rollins gif. I I I I posted a Rollins gif. Come on, Dom. Stop messing around. Mom's is worried, and I'm bugging out right now. Stop fucking with me. Question, question, question mark. Airplane emoji. FLPC. I'm okay, Pops. Tell Mom not to worry. I'm taking care of our problem. Oh, no. I see the next one here. <laughs> no. Michinguez. Mijo. Te pedi que no te fuenes. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Re oh, no, there's more. Re Regresate. <laughs> I'm butchering this so badly. Please listen to me. Brandon, Come back home. Bre Brandon, I know you're already screen capturing it all. I'll be expecting it uh, 7 a.m. in the morning. Prayer emoji. Sorry, Pops. It's too late. I'm already gone. Trust me on this. No response. Damn. I was hoping we'd get, like, the... The text bubble at the bottom, like Ray, just he's about to type, but he just can't. He can't even think now. But he started the text, so you're just seeing the uh, the bubbles. Well, uh, listen, I uh, I I appreciate the effort to to kind of like fully immerse <laughs> the audience into the storyline. Uh, yeah, cool. Okay, so there you go. That was uh. That was the text exchange. Uh, do you text with your father at all? Oh, God, no. He's like, he, he doesn't... He, like, butt-dials me all the time. That's, uh, you know, about as much as he would do to initiate. But he doesn't know how to text. Your dad? My dad does not text at all. No. Can't say that um, if, I, if I disappeared that he would be uh, alternating between languages asking me where I am. So Seth comes out. He says Ray is a hero. He sacrificed himself for the greater good and the future of Ra. But Ray has declined his invitation, but Dominic accepted. Ray appears on the screen. He did not know Dominic was coming to Ra until it was too late. <laughs> and Seth wants Ray to encourage Dominic to join him. Ray calls him crazy. And Murphy and Theory are busy looking for Dominic. And he says that if Dominic, Dominic is not part of the solution, then he's part of the problem, Ray. And he's and Ray promises to end Seth if you touch my son. Seth gets down on his knees, and Dominic shows up from behind and attacks him. And he takes Seth to the floor, throws him into the steps as Murphy and Theory run out. And then uh, Dominic plays Orange Cassidy, just evading these three. They're like the the Three Stooges trying to catch him, and he just escapes through the crowd from them. You know, the story of, like, Rollins trying to recruit Ray's son, I think, is a pretty interesting one. It's, you know, it's very Star Wars-like. Like, like you know, like, Seth is the Empire, and, like, Ray is, like, the Rebellion, and they're fighting over, like, um, Luke, basically. <laughs> uh, Luke Mysterio. And I think it's actually a story that fits pretty well with what Rollins is doing right now. And I think stands to prob probably perhaps like, you know, actually be an interesting, compelling storyline for this type of character. I I thought Dominic went through all that physicality pretty well. And overall, I, I actually enjoyed the segment. I thought it was one of Seth's best since the character's debut. Yeah. And they announced Ray will be back next week. So obviously him and Dominic uh, probably did share a plane. 
uh, coming here for the, well, at the time, back-to-back tapings. Now it looks like Ray will probably be there a day extra. Sure, a plane. What do you mean? They were uh, Ray didn't know where he was, you know? Dominic got on the plane emoji FLPC by himself. So after that, we had MVP and Lashley in the back. R-Truth walks in, and Truth gives him his sincere condominiums over his loss. Went to Claymore Country, and now you're getting a divorce, and he's chased off. This was an odd segment. I thought Truth was actually really funny here. And, and I mean, I, I found his integration into like sort of like the main event scene certainly unusual, right? Because you have Lashley and, and Drew who are like who are, are in the title picture. And then you have R-Truth just suddenly, without any real reason, associating himself with the rest. But I thought it added a great deal of, I think, like just comic relief or an otherwise, you know, like good, good storyline. But like one that I think... You know, I think Truth's addition like made it a bit more colorful, and it makes serious characters like an MVP and Lashley reacting to his idiocy pretty funny to me. They announced for SmackDown on Friday uh, the return of Bray Wyatt on the Firefly Funhouse, and Mandy Rose will be on M- on Miz TV. Uh, this along with the AJ title celebration. Mm-hmm. Lashley and MVP find our truth. He is underneath a ring in the storage area. Drew McIntyre appears, and this is where they end up having MVP suggest that both of them put their titles on the line in a winner-take-all match. Truth agrees, and Drew just shoots him a look uh, as they have agreed to put their belts on the line for nothing. Is that how contracts are signed? Somebody just has to say yes? Well, according to you and the Christian precedent, verbal is enough. Okay, yeah. Well, he actually said Yahtzee. That's but, true. Followed by bingo. I mean, I guess in any language, yes is yes. Liv Morgan and Natalia versus the Iconics. Uh, Natalia got tossed to the floor um, after making the tag to Morgan. And then Liv went for a roll-up, but the referee was busy dealing with Peyton Royce. So there was a blind tag, and they hit the fall from Grace, pinning Liv in two and a half minutes. And this would set up a confrontation between Natalia and Liv Morgan for later. But first, we get the Iconics challenging Bailey and Banks to come fight them, but they don't come out. So instead, they make the challenge for next week on Raw to face the champions. Yeah, the not coming out part I thought was really odd because they would just come out later on. And rather than say, you know, um, we'll await your answer later today, it was just... They they went off air basically, you know, confident that they were go- they were going to get the match next week, but okay. I mean, whatever. they may have maybe like they were they probably weren't like just standing there ready to come out. Like they really gave them no no time. I mean, if you were like in a trailer somewhere, and I mean, you may not even have the show on. I mean, no, I understand. Yeah, um, I guess it was just unusual that they would stage that. You know, maybe they should have just said like we were, um, you know, uh, Sasha was in the shower. They had to do their makeup. They had to get ready. And then they came out like 45 minutes later when they were ready. Sure. Christian is backstage and he gets a pep talk from Uncle Paul. This being Paul White, who warns him about an unsanctioned match being dangerous. Orton can do anything he wants. And this is so serious that he's no longer Christian. He is Jay in this segment. And you have two options. But I'll tell you, if it was me, I'd erase that smile off his face. And 
uh, that that left some some great insight for for Jay to defy doctor's orders um, because Big Show's basically saying, um, "Hey, are you a coward or not? Are you a man or are you not?" It's kind of the the whole <laughs> setup here from Big Show. He was yeah. like, "Like what a I I would hope way that if I had to stop doing something because." of physical damage that I have incurred that you would not say, well, are you a man or are you not? <laughs> like, thanks dude. You really, you really are the voice of reason that I need in this moment of conflict right now uh, internally. Thank you. Thank you for sending me out to the wolves. So big show, bad friend. Well, um, all that said, I actually enjoyed the use of Big Show here. You know, I don't know if he was specifically called in here to do this or to like take part in the ninja thing. I'm thinking more so the the ninja thing because he was a lot more involved in that. But the fact that they managed to double his value by using him as well for this Christian thing as sort of like, I guess he's a baby face friend of Christian, but I mean he might as well be a heel friend to whoever as well. Because wasn't he was he last a heel like when he fought Drew? What was that? Was he heel or baby face then? Uh, he was a heel that okay. night. Uh, the yeah, the WrestleMania deal. Well, tonight he's a he's a baby face. <laughs> um, but you know, this felt like a good, genuine pep talk from a longtime friend, and I, I thought they they managed to use show as well as Ric Flair really well on this show. Natalia is with Liv Morgan and said she made rookie mistakes. She's got zero discipline and lacks vision. All this needed was a. You bloody millennial. Like, that's pretty much what the speech was uh, from Natalia and said, it's no wonder that Ruby Riot let you go. And see, see, is, is, um, is Liv a millennial or is she Gen Z? Um, I guess, I guess she would maybe qualify as the latter potentially. What is Gen, what is Gen Z? When was Liv Morgan born? Like, she had to have been born in the 90s, right? Let me just see. Yeah. Gen, Gen Z. She's Mid to late June, 90s? June of 94. Okay, so mid to late 90s. Mm, she might be just outside of that. She might be millennial territory. All right. She was born uh, just days before the, the OJ chase. Wow. Anyway, there's, your, there's your trivia. So <laughs> she... Do you think that's what she tells everybody? I was born... Yeah, I, I, was, I was born days before the, uh, the Bronco chase. Uh so Natalia is then left on her own and she's just ranting to herself and Lana just is there. She just comes out of thin air and says, I just got humiliated in front of the entire world. 1.8 million tops. And it's tired of being blamed for everyone's shortcomings. Natalia says, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Lana says that. Oh wait, you're right. Natalia says Natalia that. Sorry, said I'm sorry. It. You're yeah. right. Yeah. They're both, so. they're both on the same page. And sick of people. So it looks like they're, they're teasing some sort of a partnership. Are we talking yep. tag team or, or manage, managerial role? Um, sure. Either or. Well, we know these two are very good friends from, from their association on Total uh, Divas. Uh, well, we shall see what they come up with. Christian comes out and Charlie is there. He was called a coward. He's proud of his career. He's got nothing to prove, but he won't be disrespected. And he accepts the match with Randy Orton. It's now official. There's no turning back. Apollo Crews is uh, propositioned by MVP, saying there's a difference between being a fighting champion and a smart one. 
It says you can get burnt out quickly and how a, a former champion can quickly be or a champion can become a former champion. You need to navigate the decisions to face the right opponent at the right time for the right amount of money. And MVP is saying he can help Cruz navigate his championship defenses. And Cruz says, if I'm not a fighting champion, I'm not a champion at all. He turns him down and MVP tells him, you're only going to keep this title with me in your corner. You know, throughout this entire show, they they managed to like have a lot of repeated appearances from, you know, people like Christian and people like MVP, who like MVP in this case, like really was popping up all over the show, almost like setting up different storylines at the same time. And here it seems like he was uh, certainly building up Apollo Crews either to be Lashley's next opponent or, or perhaps even his own. Yeah, I think they're. It really seems that they are going to be expanding MVP's group. That's kind of the feeling you got tonight. Like they're putting a lot behind MVP. Yeah, and That's, he deserves you know, it. He's he's like he's been excellent in every segment. Agreed. Ric Flair was with Charlotte for what had to have been the most pointless segment of the night. He asks her, "What is your plan? <laughs> what do you want to do next?" And Charlotte was like, huh? What like next what next title am I going to go for? No, like who gets under your skin? Uh lots of people. Um <laughs> woo, that's my answer. I I knew we were gonna get more of Ric Flair because like there's no way this was what they 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 advertised Flair for tonight's show. There was no way this could have been it. This was I don't know what this was. I guess it was a way to get Charlotte's like presence on the show. Um, what a presence! Huge, <laughs> and and uh, another way to you know ma- like get the most out of Ric Flair. Could have been like <laughs> so uh, with this news about Paul. Is this going to impact you at all, Charlotte? Well, I don't know. We're going to find out. I'm uh, I'm not scheduled for anything tonight, so I'm waiting and seeing. We're going to see how this Bruce guy uh, treats me. Paul, what? What are you talking about? Oh, got it. The, the there are, there are a few Pauls. Yeah, uh, that, that's true. There are there are quite a lot of Pauls when you think about it. Apollo Cruz, not Paul. Apollo versus Shelton Benjamin for the U.S. title. Uh, Apollo's got new music. He does. Yeah, he's got. He's got. So you know when you know they they take. That's a good sign. You know they take a wrestler seriously when they add words at the beginning of their song. You know, it's like burn it down or like, um, uh, woo, or like, uh, what's another one, John? If you smell what the rock is cooking, you know, and we have our next in line, Apollo, Apollo. Well, it was, uh, and then it gets into the music. Yeah. Did you like the song? I mean, I've only heard it like briefly. Don't really have an opinion on either way. I think it's an improvement over what he had, which was just pretty generic. It, 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 yeah, it's got lyrics. It's uh, it's better than the old one. The the old one wasn't anything memorable. So Benjamin has a inset promo saying he was once the young hungry champion, and Apollo should take MVP's advice. Uh, Benjamin hits him with a splash and a German suplex as MVP is watching backstage, and then Cruz comes back in Zaguri, standing moonsault, and then rolls up Shelton. And hooks the bottom rope, uh, grabs the bottom rope for leverage and pins Shelton at 208. There was no one more happy than Samoa Joe that Apollo Crews cheated to win. (laughs) 
I think the you know he's been like Joe has been doing doing a good job maintaining himself as sort of like a heel at heart, even though last time he was here he was a baby face. And on commentary, he largely plays a babyface, but he's still got that edge to it. And I don't know if you've seen this, but like it's been making the rounds where um, last night he was like talking about AJ and saying how, you know, I'm hoping AJ can spend a bit more time with his family. And then he just gives this death stare to the camera, like, you know, just to remind us that this guy has quite the history with AJ's family. Well, they uh, they brought you up to speed to remind yeah. you. You know, um, the idea, I guess, with this match is to show that Apollo isn't just like a goody two-shoes who only follows the rules. He he is, you know, a baby face, but he's somebody who's st- smart enough to be able to take advantage of the rules when he needs to. He, unlike, you know, what MVP suggests, Apollo believes he is a smart champion. So I enjoyed this. It was something different from your kind of usual babyface win for Cruz, adding a, a little bit more depth to to the character. Uh, Charlie was with Asuka, and she just cut a promo. Nia started this fight. She's going to finish it for the rematch later tonight. Drew is with R-Truth. Truth went and spoke to the powers that be, and now only Drew's title is on the line. So if R-Truth loses, Drew loses his title. Uh, but Truth has nothing at risk here. It's all on Drew to make sure he can keep his title. Yeah, I wonder how that negotiation went. Yeah, this was... um, Didn't go well for... Well, for our truth, it went 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 great. great. (laughs) He has no problem here. It's Drew that got got about smarted. The Street Profits and Viking Raiders are going over suggestions of what they can do next to top one another. They suggest chess, Uno, a chariot race, which piqued my interest. Big Show enters... And he suggests, uh, Ivar brings up carpool karaoke, and he says, no, never again with the carpool karaoke. Big Show says they should have a title match next week, and they all agree, and they start dancing. It's, it's the weirdest stipulation of all. A wrestling match. Oh, my God. Did you notice that tonight, I mean, one thing that, you know, we'll get the occasional uh, title match on TV when it's something, you know, nothing like tonight, though. They did three title matches tonight, and that's it's very rare. That seemed to be one difference this week. That And next week, we've got two title matches on Raw. So I wonder if that's like a small thing that they're just uh, deciding to make some of these matches feel more important uh, is put the titles on the line more frequently. Sure. Yeah. Honestly, I didn't even really notice all that much. Um because I don't know how important title matches are these days, especially when it's R-Truth and Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Lashley and MVP. You know, the, the, it wasn't necessarily like they, there was that hint at all that any title change was going to occur, nor was there any prestige really attached to it. But um, I, I I guess, yeah, why not? I mean, really, your TV should be your priority. You know, they, they you're, you're getting way more money from your, a TV show than, than you might for a pay-per-view. Also tonight... Um... Like nothing in terms of, you know, hinting at extreme rules. Um, you know, it just seemed to be more so. Um, How far are we? Yeah, we we have, we have a month. It's not, uh, you know, essential. Nineteenth. Yeah, J- July nineteenth. So I mean, they, they've got time. Um, right. Just not really a big focus of you know uh, any certain directions that they're going. But I guess you're, you're getting some hints. So Drew and our truth versus Lashley and MVP. 
Truth is like annoying Drew at the beginning where Drew is just looking all frustrated in the corner and is just I kind of like it just felt like a little weird for Drew that he's like this has been the guy that has always been one step ahead of the heels throughout this whole thing. And now he's like been outsmarted by our truth. Um, But this all kind of worked in the end. Yeah. I mean, um, certainly it was odd, I think, to start without, you know, um, like knowing the full picture because Drew at up until this point has been proven to be pretty infallible in terms of just his confidence. You know, he's not really concerned about everything. The guy goes up against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, and not for a second does he appear scared or something. But in this scenario, when he's put in a situation where R-Truth might lose his belt for him, he, like, stresses the fuck out. Uh, and, you know, it, it all makes sense by the end, but it was it was definitely, like, unusual. Yeah, after Truth is getting beaten down, the tag is made to Drew, he hits the Future Shock DDT on Lashley, and then attacks MVP on the floor... Um, Lashley ends up making the save and then truth takes Lashley out to the floor and does a drop toehold, sending him into the steps and setting up drew to hit the claymore to MVP. But instead of him going for the pin, he tags his partner and our truth splashes him off the top. And it's our truth that pins MVP in nine minutes, 11 seconds. Um, our truth is not the new WWE champion drew retains. Yes, that's right. I thought it was really interesting how they like decided to do all this, and and really, I think by the end of here, they they managed to use our truth in a way to make Drew McIntyre a little bit more interesting. It seems like they're going with some sort of like, you know, odd couple dynamic between our truth, and then you have Drew McIntyre, who's like more of the serious guy. And rather than having Drew going from being completely concerned and totally like, you know, not taking this this dude seriously, he goes from that to earning his trust and earning so much trust that he he's even willing to let him um t- do the the pinfall at the end here. I mean Phillips did describe it as Drew having so much confidence in the Claymore that he's in like no rush to go for the cover so like he did explain it that way. But at the same time, I mean I, it seems to me like they are going to do something more with Drew and and Truth here. Otherwise, I wouldn't think that they would let Truth get the cover just like that. Uh, but overall, I thought it was like a, you know, different set of emotions that, that they put Drew McIntyre through. And and again, like adds a bit of depth to whatever he is. Do you remember that this was the format of the match that David Arquette won the WCW title? He was teaming with DDP, who was the <laughs> WCW champion against Eric Bischoff and Jeff Jarrett. And DDP helped Arquette win, which in he pretty much... Arquette won DDP's title by pinning Eric Bischoff. So DDP was a champion at that time? I, I totally yes. don't remember all that. Well, why did yes. he do that? Did he, like, screw himself? Or did he knowingly screw himself or, or not? Uh, well, I I can't remember the exact ending sequence uh, of the match. But it was like DDP celebrating with Arquette at the end. That, hey, look, you've won my title. <laughs> now, it, now in I fairness, didn't see it, it coming, man. This did end DDP's historical third title reign that lasted 24 hours. So he didn't have that much of an emotional attachment to this title. But it was the last time DDP ever won the WCW title was uh, when David Arquette ended his one-day title reign. Oh, man. So much WCW, goodness. WCW, 2000. So much goodness. Ric Flair meets with Christian in the back, and he tells Christian, you're not ready for this. Orton's at the top of his game. He's untouchable. And Christian says, I can't forgive him for what he said. 
And this doesn't read as well as it played out. I thought this was a great segment between these two. It was, it just felt like a real conversation of somebody warning the other. Um, I thought Mm -hmm. this was great. Absolutely. I felt the same thing about their little interaction on the kickoff yesterday. I thought Flair sounded like, you know, like surprisingly good when I feel like previous, you know, uh, scenes we've seen of him on, on, on TV have all been either really scripted or just like, you know, reducing him to just catchphrases. Here he actually like gets to act and gets to play Ric Flair or at least a version of Ric Flair. And he felt really genuine here. I agree. Yeah. Very good segment. Bailey and Sasha came out and it's Bailey's birthday. She's 31 today. And she said it's going to be her celebration week. Um, she spoke about her hair and what she did with her hair. She you noticed- shaved a birthday cake into the back or something. She is looking more and more like Rachel Maddow by the week. I don't, I don't even know who that is. Um, who is that? Cable news host. I'm going to Google her right now. Um, I guess. No, not quite. She's got brown hair, short brown hair. Well, they said they're going to whoop Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox on NXT, and they cut to the crowd. I seriously thought they were going to cut to Shotzi Blackheart in the crowd. <laughs> I guess she wasn't there, eh? Or I didn't see her. See not, her. I didn't see her tonight. Um, And then they're going to finish the week on SmackDown. Banks tells the Iconics to never tell them when they defend their titles. So this prompts the Iconics to come out and they bring up beating them for the titles at WrestleMania last year. And then you two had your meltdowns and couldn't handle the pressure then or now. And Peyton slaps Sasha. Bailey has a tantrum on her birthday and accepts the match. And Banks is upset at this. So next week, we're going to get two tag title matches with the Street Profits, Viking Raiders and Iconics challenging Banks and Bailey. Yes, that's right. So they're, you know, already being a lot more active with these tag title belts. And uh, really, like, to me, I'm looking forward to the NXT match probably more than anything else that's going on. But this was, I think, a good little one-week build here for for the Iconics and Sasha Bailey next week. You know, trash talk, connecting it to the Mania win last year. It worked. And they announced Rey Mysterio returns next week as well. So that's what we've got on tap. Asuka Nia Jax for the Raw Women's title. Uh, Jax is overpowering her at the beginning until Asuka uses a flying armbar. And much like the match on Sunday, it was Asuka going for a lot of submissions and Jax either breaking out of them or getting to the rope and escaping them. She eventually catches Asuka and drops her on the floor with a powerbomb. Uh, and oh we go God. to a commercial break. I, I yeah. couldn't believe this, honestly. Like This was know- like a tribute to like one of Vader's crazy powerbombs. This was a pretty enormous one. I mean, I think that spot would have been dangerous either way, but fine, whatever. But like after the track record that I'm, I'm sorry, I know a lot of people don't really hold like Naya accountable for whatever happened to Kyrie, but still there, there are plenty of other incident incidents where I don't know. I would certainly be concerned and I would certainly ask like whose idea it was to like this powerbomb did not look safe at all, or at least did not look um easy to take. And anyway, all for a commercial break. I, you know, she, of course, Asuka was fine afterwards. Asuka stopped the Samoan drop, hit her with a stomp, and then Jax caught her with the Samoan drop, but Asuka's foot is under the rope, prompting Nia to then shove referee John Cohen, who goes to call for the bell, but then Asuka rolls her up, so Cohen hesitates, fast counts Nia at 8.53, and Asuka retains. Well, um, 
you know, I think the expectation is that this feud probably continues. Um, if this was the out of the program, I think it would have been, it would be incredibly lame. So if it builds to another match, I guess I, you know, it's, it's totally fine. I, I think Asuka again shows that she does really well working against the giant. Um, and I think makes up for a lot of, you know, like other limitations that, that Nia has. And after that, Charlie interviewed Randy Orton. He asks, do you think Christian's a legend? She does. And Randy agrees. He says there are no rules or regulations in an unsanctioned match, and in a few minutes, the legend of Christian will be destroyed. So Christian comes out for his big comeback with seven minutes remaining in the show. And there they are in the ring when Ric Flair comes out and he tries to talk Christian out of this. He said, I just spoke to Edge. This isn't cool. Christian says, I have to do this. And the bell rings, and there's Flair as he's exiting the ring. He gets down. He low blows Christian, and Christian is down on his knees as Orton punts Christian and pins him in a minute. This was not even about about the match, really. It was it was about the honestly, it was the angle. And then, like when Christian was, I think like when they did the Matt Hardy um, attack, when they did the Beth Phoenix attack, I think a lot of us expected. Well, Christian's probably next. He's probably going to get beat up. They never did that throughout the entire build to WrestleMania. They never did it even through the build to this greatest match ever. Instead, they did it after the greatest match ever, which I found really interesting. But I I was really pleased with the way they managed to drag out the entire show to lead up to this one punt. And yeah, we didn't get the match. Was it a bit of bait and switch? Sure, perhaps. But I, I wasn't honestly even expecting the match, nor was I, to be honest with you, looking that forward to whatever unsanctioned like shenanigans were going to take place anyway. And I was so happy with, I think, the way this played out and Flair's involvement, which I thought was awesome. It came out of, uh, no pun intended, out of nowhere. And it led wonderfully to like, you know, more of Randy Orton doing his like very maniacal stalking leading up to the return, like using that punt again, which seems to be, at least for now, like some sort of regular move in his repertoire. They brought back the punt and... With a knee slap. Yeah, <laughs> which is just amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that this would certainly, like, I, I don't know what exactly the plans are with Christian, but, you know, if... Like you need to be, it's not like you have like, okay, you're, you're half cleared. It's like, you're either cleared or you're not cleared. They would not be doing this spot if he wasn't. So that tells me that, you know, to do this, this angle, um, they're not doing angles like this with people that aren't cleared. Well, it, it does make me wonder how they're shooting this punt that right. has changed their mind because, you know, these are all tape shows. Yep. Like when he did it last night, of course that match was taped and, and you know, in this match it was taped too. Like it looked really good. You know, you get to see at least what seems like some sort some form of contact when you're playing it. But there there are cuts in there. So I don't know if if there's a sleight of hand attached to it that allows them to safely do it without the same level of risk this time around. And if that's the case, maybe you don't have to have Christian like actually be cleared in order to just essentially take this kick. Yeah, well uh We'll see what this uh, leads to or doesn't lead to. I kind of took this to be like the the punt. That should be the last we see of Christian. Yeah. And so where does Orton go from here? Like who who would avenge, you know, either of these guys now that they're both gone? Um, Rhino. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. They didn't have too many friends, the two of them, I guess. 
Kirk's gone. Yeah. The Hardys are, uh, Jeff's got his own issues. Uh, Matt's gone. Bubba? I don't know about that either. Devon? I don't know about that either. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Do you see Flair kind of being a mouthpiece for, for Randy? Do you, like, obviously that was the big angle here was, you know, Rick, was it just a convenient out to, to set up the angle and Rick was able to be used? Or do you see a, a deeper role with, with Rick attached to Randy? Certainly, like, for the short term, yeah. I mean, that seems to be what this was leading to. I would be disappointed if Flair, you know, getting the most physical he's gotten in years, didn't do some sort of follow-up with with Randy in, in sort of like a mini, you know, evolution reunion. Uh, I think that would be great. But at the same time, you have to question how... You know, Ric Flair at his age, how often is he going to be traveling? I mean, this is, again, in the middle of a pandemic. And how willing are they going to be to just have Flair be around on a regular basis? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And certainly, like, you know, with increased concerns coming off of this taping, uh, that's something to think about. After the punt, Randy was awesome. He's just getting – he's upset at Christian for forcing him to kick him in the head. I didn't want to do this. They've got the stretcher out for him. We go way back. I didn't want to do this. I didn't want this to be the last chapter of your career, but it's your fault and you have to forgive me. I can't let you destroy my livelihood. If it comes down to me or you, it's always going to be me that I pick, but you must forgive me. It was, I thought Randy was great here at the end, just getting in his face and like angry at him for forcing me to drill you in the head. He was so good, really, really good. And this is sort of like the like one of the the mag- magic tricks of like a current like present day Randy Orton that I don't know if you can really teach, you know? Like he just has it. He just he has the ability to to do stuff like this and and it's fantastic. It did feel like it was dragging a little bit though towards the end of the show, didn't it? Like it felt like you like you saw the the logo, the the copyright come up mm-hmm. and then it just kept going on and on. Then eventually he's just like, why aren't you guys taking him away? You know, like, anyway, but it was great. I liked tonight's episode of Raw. I thought that they moved a lot of things forward. I thought that they, um, I I thought there was, there was a lot of like interesting stuff on the show. I think you had like a hook throughout with, with the Christian stuff. Randy is doing tremendous stuff. And he realistically, he has been all year. Like with this edge return, mm-hmm. it's been the best work of years uh, for Randy. Um, and it's coming off like a really well-received match on Sunday as well. But you're seeing uh, a lot of movement in, you know, the, all the key characters that you're moving. Um, I, I like tonight's show. I did too. You know, and certainly like coming off of this, you know, some people are going to be like, wow, like the first show of the Pritchard era, it was great. Like, I don't, I, I have no idea how much, you know, like was left over i suppose from like the paul Heyman stories or, or whatever but um any concern that any, you know anybody might have had about at least like the first week uh, to me the, this episode completely washed that away because this was a good show fast moving a lot of new developments i love the so long angle with christian i love the integration of, of both big show and rick flair into it orton was amazing and i would say like a lot of other people had like really you know good useful segments on this show yeah, let's uh, let's go to the feedback, and I'm curious to see everyone's thoughts on uh, tonight's show. It gets a 5.71, so not uh, not overwhelming, but a pass nonetheless on our forum. 
Paul from New Jersey. This show was terrific. The booking of the women's tag division is night and day compared to months ago. Multiple segments tonight with matches set up for NXT as well as next week's Raw. Bailey was hilarious. Apollo has a new theme. He's been booked incredibly strong and got a win being portrayed as the smart babyface. Vega has her troops back in line and MVP is clearly recruiting. Although a bit hokey, I like the R-Truth Drew McIntyre stuff because it told a story and goes on to give this an 8 out of 10. I like the big show uh, calling Christian by his real name, Jay. It added to the segment. We got a Tyler from Orlando who says, This was the first Raw I watched live in maybe three months. I actually maybe only watch Raw watch one Raw on the DVR once a month. Perhaps when the crowds come back, I will come back full-time as well. Tonight, I watched because of the rumors on Twitter about my second favorite wrestler of all time possibly making an in-ring return. Although it wasn't really a match, Christian being a major part of the show again made me very satisfied. I hope it continues as long as they deemed it safe for him to be there. By the way, did you guys hear that? Oh, okay. Well, Tyler brings up... Um, Are you reading this, John? Yeah, I mean, this, I, I did not have enough time to really look into this, that there was, you know, some fan that has had past incidents at the Performance Center showing up that uh, security had to take care of. Um, I, I saw it was re- reported by Fightful, and apparently, yeah, there was some kind of streaming component to this as well. But um, with, with all the different stories that were coming out, I just haven't had a chance to really look into this beyond that. I wasn't aware. Andrew from Cape Breton, I hated this show. I found it to be one of the worst Raws in recent memory. I'll go for the positive first. The Orton angle at the end was great. Getting there was a bit rough, though, as the logic of unsanctioned matches was killed off a bit by them having a referee, a bell, and Christian being allowed to wrestle in the first place. If that's the case, what kept Edge from having unsanctioned matches after almost being killed by Seth Rollins? However, the angle at the end was great. I would love to see Ric Flair stay around as some sort of Freddie Blassie-style manager, but with the recent news that broke, maybe he shouldn't be anywhere near the PC. The main reason I hated this show was because of how goofy some of the angles were, particularly the tag title match and the Viking Profits. Last night's atrocity continued, and poor Tozawa went from a guy who could only win on NXT to being part of the Young Dragons segments. I don't really want to see the Viking Raiders or the Street Profits wrestle on TV at all because of how obnoxious both teams are. I hated the goofiness attached to McIntyre and Lashley as it seemed like a world title feud and as it okay, and shot it down to the midcard. Two out of ten. There was certainly goofiness on the show, um, but there's, to me, always been goofiness on Raw, and um, the only question is whether or not it's good goofiness or bad goofiness, and I think there, there's there been good goofiness throughout Raw's history, and it's certainly debatable what you thought was good about the Viking Prophet stuff. Um, arguably, none of that was good, but I, to me, it, it's, it's relegated to the mid-card, and it's, you know... It, Something like what we saw tonight to me was inoffensive uh, enough um, that I could just excuse it for something, some mid-card comedy. Uh, the Lana Lashley stuff is certainly of a level um, that might rub people the wrong way. But to me, like I've seen a lot of good WWE trash, or at least trash that I've, I've been very entertained by. And at least according to this one segment, I found it entertaining. But I could see Andrew completely hating this one as well. We got Andrew from Portland who says, or Alexander from Portland who says, the Viking Prophets replay from Backlash swept the trash tentacle monster under the rug. So what was the point of it being included? Nothing. Just, just a slight gag. Randy returning to the Legend Killer gimmick sounds amazing, but beyond Edge and maybe Christian, there aren't many legends that he can take on. Between last night and tonight, there's no better challenger for Drew than Randy Orton. 
he feels like the perfect guy to take the title off of Drew McIntyre. Uh, well, that's a question for you, John. Like, if this Legend Killer gimmick seems to like be getting this revival, um, that you know they're there's they're portraying like work and they take take it. I think that ultimately Randy needs baby faces to work with, and there's, I mean, to who me, are the, who are the, the legends? Oh, the legends. Uh, to be honest, like I, that doesn't really excite me. The idea of just bringing people back to work with Randy. I would rather just see him kind of integrated with like the talent that's there. Um, I mean, like who even comes to mind? Oh, that you like Ray, but... Ray, he's already done recently. Yeah. Um, like I really don't want to see Randy in the big show and you know, stuff like oh, that. Oh God, no. And, and like who, who is available as well that, um, yeah, that you could bring it. Like, I think ultimately Drew and Orton is probably the direction I would imagine for SummerSlam. Just off the top of my head, that would seem to be uh, a likely scenario for Orton to go to. So then maybe this Legend Killer thing is just like a one one month only type of thing. Yeah, I mean, it, it would depend on if you had the right person. That would make sense that you could do. But, you know, to me, just, just finding other guys just for the sake of it, I, I don't know if that's really advancing Randy much. Alex also has some feedback for uh, New Japan, which we will discuss a little bit later on with WH Park. But uh, maybe let me just read it right now. He says, as for New Japan, it was entirely skippable from an in-ring perspective, but their presentation seemed top-notch. Showing the announcers social distancing, the guardrails being sanitized, no audience, shows that New Japan is taking COVID more seriously than, than a fair amount of U.S. politicians. The lack of audience wasn't as big of a factor either. And he says, the women's tag belts have seen a large number of defenses lately. Why do you think that is? Since the belts can be defended across three brands, do you know who is in charge of booking them? I mean, the the shows are it's Bruce Pritchard, Vince McMahon. Like those are those are your main showrunners. Um, it seems like I don't think it's a case of just the women's tag titles. I think I think we're starting to see they're they're utilizing a lot of title defenses now on TV, at least uh, in the immediate future. So um, I think I, I think mean, Bailey... that's always been. Well, I think Bailey and Sasha having the belts is a little bit more high profile than like Alexa and Nikki Cross, for instance. And I mean, there is sort of like that romantic thing of like them, you know, completing what they initially set out to do with um, go, taking the belts to NXT. Like on NXT, I really certainly don't imagine like a title change to take place anytime soon. I, I, I feel like it's just more of a way to, you know, uh, add their name value to NXT and just essentially to have hot matches. So I don't know how much booking like, you know, NXT's people need to be involved with. Okay, next up here, we are going to Aaron from Brampton. I really want to see how they executed a potential Christian return. They definitely had me hooked for that. I genuinely thought they'd have someone wrestle in Christian's place, but I'm glad that was not the case. Having Randy beat down a retired wrestler just makes him more despicable. It feels like they're heating Orton up, and it wouldn't shock me if his SummerSlam program was against Drew McIntyre. How would you guys feel about that being the main event program? Uh, everything between the opening segment and the main event was just a blur. I'm not sure if that meant I was able to concentrate on my work with the TV on or that Raw was bad enough to not distract me. Um, yeah, we kind of talked about that. I, I think that's a logical way to go um, mm -hmm. with Drew holding the title and Randy Orton being the most overheel in the company at the moment. Yep, works for me. 
We go to Walter from Texas who says, Am I alone in thinking that the end of Raw would have been an ideal time for Tommaso Ciampa to show up and get things going with Randy Orton and pay off their Twitter feud? That's actually a great direction to go in the in the immediate future because he does have the connection with, with Edge and you've kind of started this thing with Orton. It, it's not the – that wouldn't be the worst idea. I don't know if that's really where they are. How many people are aware of that connection? Of Ch- of Ciampa and Edge? I think that's something you could explain. Um, that's, that's part of like introducing Ciampa and explaining that kind of okay. mentorship. Um, they could. Um I guess I just, you know, I I don't know if that's ever something that they really intended on ever doing or if it was just them kind of having fun with each other on Twitter. And oh, I, I don't think it's where they're going. But I'm just saying, if you if you were looking for a bridge, you could come up with a lot worse options than, than Ciampa. How do you actually intend that feud to, to go, though, once the two of them are actually in the ring? And, you know, I mean, if, if it's just the bridge, Ciampa is going to have to lose, right? Oh, yeah. That, like, that's where I would see it going. It would be like Horton... Um, slapping his thigh and kicking him in the head. Anyway, uh, he says, uh, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Last one is Brian from New York. I know it wasn't much of a news making show, but I was just thankful to have new Japan back in our lives again this morning. Props to their adjustments from Yano replacing his water spitting with sanitizer spray Liger being brought to us by flat screen TV and giving us an exciting halftime show full of cleaning. Only part that made me sad was seeing Minoru Suzuki walking around the ring during his entrance and looking upset when he couldn't find any bystanders to punch. I'm looking forward to the cup tournament starting Tuesday, as the stakes of it should counter some of the silent environment that's been hindering other wrestling shows. Only other uh, only question coming off Raw tonight, and Ric Flair's sudden injection into the show. Looking ahead to big match possibilities at SummerSlam, what's the better chance of happening? Charlotte adopting Randy Orton's legend killer gimmick and going after Beth Phoenix, or Randy Orton deciding the biggest legend currently around that he could kill is Charlotte, and WWE finally goes ahead with an intergender match? I don't see either of those happening, uh, but certainly not um, not the latter. <laughs> No, I don't imagine Randy Orton and Charlotte at uh, at WrestleMania, uh, or at SummerSlam, I should say. Um, what what do you see with, with Charlotte in the near future? So uh, she is technically what a Raw talent, right? Maybe program her as like the like Charlotte kind of like straddles the line of babyface heel that she can work with anyone. Uh, maybe that's to that's a program for Shayna Baszler with Charlotte. It's something new. That's a good idea. Yeah. Like Shane um, has just disappeared for the last month, so yes. she's got nothing going on. Yeah, uh, that's that's a good one. Now that almost seems too big, like for just extreme rules. You know, is that one you say for SummerSlam, or at you, this you, point, you, does it matter where they go? You could hold it off till SummerSlam. Um, another one that's gone missing is Bianca Belair since that call up, where she she doesn't even accompany the Street Profits anymore. That's true. Yeah, I believe I saw her on a main event. Main event. Yeah. yeah, but she's not like aligned with the Street Profits, um, at least not on Raw. They so. can continue that on, but this time on Raw, but they just did it pretty recently. All right, that's all of the feedback. Uh, so at this point, uh, we're going to welcome in WH Park to chat all things New Japan. All right, we're going to change gears now and welcome in WH Park as we are going to talk a little bit about Monday's return for New Japan Pro Wrestling after a 110-day hiatus. WH, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm okay. I like, uh, watched uh, some New Japan last night, so I uh, feel good about wrestling again to some degree. But uh, yeah, it was a good show. 
Yeah, they did kind of the New Year's Dash presentation today where it was a surprise card. And really, the this was all about New Japan just putting on a card for everybody. Not one of high consequences, but more or less, hey, we're back. And here is a three-hour show to just pretty much serve as the prelude for the New Japan Cup. Yeah, I think, you know, based on, like, my Twitter timeline, like, so many people were, were so happy just to see anything from this company, whether it's an empty arena, whether it has fans or not, and you just be able to see, like, your favorite wrestlers from a company that's so beloved to so many people was just such a, you know, feel-good moment for a lot of people, I think. I was watching and certainly most interested in seeing, you know, what a New Japan version of an empty arena show would look like, what their safety precautions would be on camera. How do you feel they did WH? Um, I suppose as well as anyone, like you saw the the break time between in the middle of the show where you saw like people wearing like protective gear, just wiping down, disinfecting the, the, the mat and, and around the around the ring as well. So I thought that's that's a nice touch. Uh, it's not as jarring as seeing some of the Noah shows where you see all the camera people wearing protective gear and, and all the wrestlers wearing just their gear. Um, so on that front, like, it's good to see, you know, this kind of presentation of like, we're doing as best as we can to keep this environment safe for the staff and the wrestlers. So something that like really stood out to me was like, um, seeing the announcers and when you first tune in, it's a shot of Milano and the play-by-play announcer. I, I forget, I forget his name, but then like right in between them is Jushin Thunder Liger on a TV screen and, Chris Charlton tweeted out that the reason why Jushin Liger was on a TV screen, even though he was actually sitting there next to the mall, was so that they could fit all three people into frame while keeping social distancing. And that to me was amazing because on every professional wrestling show that's currently going on in North America, every UFC event, at the very least, even if they are socially distancing, they are coming together for that one on camera at the front. And for New Japan to not even want to give that, you know, give into that and to instead bring a camera and a TV set to house Jushin Liger simply to, like, fit them into a shot. To me, I thought that said a lot about how seriously they were taking this. Well, I mean, you if you watch other Japanese wrestling shows with commentary, there's, you know, like the announcers will sit apart from each other. Usually there's only two. And like for Noah, for Noah shows, especially I've seen like them keeping like about six feet apart from each other, the two commentary commentators. And the thing about that is like, you know, in Japan, people take rules very seriously as you both well know. Uh, so like to, to, for new Japan to go that extra distance of like to, to put Jushin Liger on a TV screen. So you can observe social distancing rules is actually very, you know, in keeping with like you know Japanese culture, uh, some of the the highlights of the show we had in, in the main event: uh, Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Hiromu Takahashi uh, defeating Kazuchika Okada and Rapongi 3K. And then we also had the eight man tag, uh, second from the top, that saw uh, Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, Yuji Nagata, and Togi Makabe take on Taichi, Zack Saber Jr., Minoru Suzuki, and Doki, ending with. Makabe pinning Doki with the uh, King Kong knee drop. Uh, what were some of the the standouts for you on this show? I would say that a lot of this was more so just about uh, seeing a lot of guys that you haven't seen in several months. Well, I really like the opener between uh, Gabriel Kidd and uh, Yotosuji because I'm really interested in like 
the development of Gabriel Kidd because he he really like piques my interest. I'm I'm really curious to see how he's going to develop over the next several years, what his like eventual character is going to be, what his kind of alignment within the company is going to be. So I was really interested in that, and I thought Suji looked good. Looked like he was a uh, partaking in a lot of the uh, Chanko Nabe in the dojo, it seems there. I like the the second match. Like I, I really like the team of El Desperado and Yoshinobu Kanemaru, so it was really nice to see them work. Again, I thought they had really good, inter- interesting interactions with Tomohiro Ishii, especially considering he's a heavyweight and they're juniors. Uh, and then, yeah, the last two matches I thought were really good. Uh, fun, fun matches. Like, nothing of consequence, but the, one of the highlights was me was like, you know, I think, um, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but like uh, Tetsuya Naito did being like his own new inverted version of the Destino, which kind of looked like, you know, Masato Tanaka's diamond dust move. Like an inverted Destino. Yeah, that seemed to be, I mean, the announcers were really reacting to it big. And so it seemed to be like a debut of at least a secondary or at least like like, like a lead up to another finisher. Well, I mean, he just polished him off with the regular Destino, but didn't seem like he needed to like, yo, it looked like he took that, that bump pretty hard on his head. Something I really noticed was, you know, I want to know how you guys feel about this, but like, I I wasn't as bothered by the empty crowd with a New Japan show as I might be, you know, for a Raw or SmackDown. And I do wonder why for me that might be, you know, part of it, I guess, maybe is because I'm already used to empty arena crowd so much. But I, I do, for me, like, I think the style of New Japan Pro Wrestling, there's always a lot going on. And I feel like it feels a bit more like a regular UFC fight so that's less relying on you know let's say like crowds you know less playing to the crowds in a standard type of uh, uh for instance like a tag team match that it didn't really bother me how did you guys feel i think part of it is that you know japanese wrestling is so expressive in the ring with like making a lot of noises and, and yelling at your opponents and the such like that so they're the wrestlers themselves are creating all this atmosphere where, and they're being really loud, and they're not pretending that there's there is an audience here, which is something you see in WB, for example. Um, also, I think the announcers did an amazing job of just being enthusiastic and just mm-hmm. kind of projecting their enthusiasm to the, the the audience at home. And I and especially Jushin Liger, he is such a a treasure for for doing this kind of acting as a commentator, but also as a fan. He did the same thing at the last Cork and Stardom show before they um you know they they went on hiatus as well like he was you know so enthusiastic he was part of the audience he substituted like he was a substitute for the audience and i think he did the same thing on here even though he's like you know being presented on a video screen as well but i think both the the in-ring talent and the commentators just created this really lively atmosphere that i think really made it stand above you know anything you'll see on most american you know especially wb broadcast with empty arena shows yeah, I mean, like, they, they certainly, like, laid it in, and I think the Japanese announcers really added a lot to the presentation. I'm, I still feel like I, I've watched enough empty arena shows for, to last me several lifetimes over the last three months that it's, um, it, it's never going to be uh, anyone's preferred option. Um, so I, I still think it, it's, it's missing something, and I just found it to be a little jarring when we went from that awesome opening video and you're just seeing like the Tokyo Dome crowds and it's it's like we're back and then boom, we go into this empty arena and it was just uh, – I almost wish they saved this video for the Osaka shows because it was such a fantastic video to start the show off with about you know that they've been gone for so long and now we're returning. Shall we switch gears to the New Japan Cup? 
Yeah, so that's going to be starting uh, Tuesday morning. We have our 32-man tournament, and it's going to be kicking off with uh, Togi Makabe versus Yotosuji, Tomihiro Ishii versus El Desperado, Toru Yano versus uh, the Dark Horse, Giotto, and Tomoaki Honma versus Hiromu Takahashi. So, of course, this is going to feature uh, no foreigners because uh, no one can get into the country save for uh, Zack Sabre Jr., who lives there, Gabriel Kidd, who's in the dojo. And to make up for the absent names, we have junior heavyweights making up a significant uh, portion of the field. Uh, WH, uh, what do you think about uh, some of the, the standout matches in the opening round? And we'll get into your, some of your picks after as well. Uh, I think, like... Ishii and Desperado should be good. Um, Yano and Jado should be exceptionally bad. So there's <laughs> something to be said about that. Um, in the opening rounds, like, uh, let's see. Nagata, Minoru Suzuki, I'm looking forward to that. Um, Ishimori, I, think that's, I think that's one that could go either way as well. Like, I expect Suzuki to win, but I could see, like, Nagata and Okada could be really fun in the, in the second round. I don't uh, write that one off. No, definitely. I think they're going to... Bring it. Those guys got unreal chemistry with each other and have for like over ten years, so it's it's going to be good. And then over on the B side, um, you know, the Golden, Golden Aces taking on Tai Chi and Zack Saber Jr. in their respective singles matches. I think those should all be good. Uh, Show continues his his uh, quest to topple Shingo Takagi. I don't think it's going to happen in this match, but that should be a good match as well. And then. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to Kojima versus Evil because I think this is, you know, when Kojima's put in a, like a spotlight, you know, position, he's going to deliver. And he's one of the few, you know, New Japan, quote unquote, dads who can still really go at a high level, I think. I thought he looked pretty good today. He looked you know? in really good shape. Like he looked like someone that's been active during this time off and looked. Uh, I agreed with you. Eh? I thought that Kojima did look good today. Yeah, I, I thought Sonata looked great too. I mean, like today, I think for me, I mean, it certainly it wasn't a, a show that featured, you know, a lot of must-see matches, but it was just more so for me reminding myself, oh my God, Sonata is this good. Zack Sabre Jr. is this good. Uh, Kota Ibushi is this good. Benoru Suzuki is this, this good. Like, I've forgotten, you know, what these guys look like in, in, in ring, and it, today was a great reminder. I even enjoyed, like, Sonata in the brief little moments that he was in there for with Ryusuke Taguchi, and so... That might be, you know, even a first-round match that I'd be curious to see. I think that should be fun. They, I think they have good chemistry. Like, Taguchi, when he wants to be, is a very good wrestler, too. So, uh, Looking ahead um, to, to the other side of the bracket. So, what we'll, the opening round will be on Tuesday and Wednesday this week. And then they'll have a couple days off before they resume on Monday, on June 22nd. And that side, I think, has a, a lot of the, the depth of the tournament. We have uh, Tanahashi versus Taichi, Kota Bushi versus Zack Sabre Jr., Taguchi versus Sonata, and a rematch from last year's Best of the Super Juniors, the opening day of the tournament, Shotanaka versus Shingo Takagi. Um, that, that's going to be an outstanding show uh, with those four matches on Monday's card. That's probably going to be, like, the, the best show of the the opening rounds i think who do you see advancing between shingo and show i i think the long-term story for show is to keep on losing to shingo takagi it, it's mm. going to be kind of like the jumbo surutum the sahara masawa story um i see shingo takagi going pretty deep into this tournament actually um show will get his when like they're ready to push him as a legit singles i don't think He's there yet. I think they're still, you know, you know, pushing him as a tag team wrestler right now. So it's not show's time this year. I do 
see the upset with Taichi beating Tanahashi. I don't expect that we're going to get Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, or another Tanahashi, Zack Sabre Jr. match. So I could see Taichi advancing and probably getting Ibushi in the second round. I, I can see that as well. I, I kind of can go either way with uh, the uh, Tanahashi Taichi match and Ibushi Zack Saber matches, but like I, I, I kind of did my picks as kind of like my more my wish <laughs> than what I, I think might actually happen. You know, so in those cases, so I, I kind of go with Tanahashi, and then you know Tanahashi would face Ibushi in the second round. And who are your picks for the final set of uh, first round matches on Tuesday? Uh, for the. For group, sorry, my my finals in the whole tournament, or oh, just, just for uh, well, let, let's just look at this. For for Tuesday, we have Tenzan Yoshihashi, Yo versus Bushi, Satoshi Kojima versus Evil, and uh, Goto versus Yujiro. Uh, not the most uh, outstanding show, but we will we'll see what we get on that day. So I would go with uh, Tenzan, Yo, Kojima, and Goto. Okay. Uh, do, do your brackets include a Tenzon Kojima uh, meeting in the quarterfinals? Uh, it does not. No. Oh. Well, why don't you give us a, a, lo- a look ahead then? Maybe let's uh, let's advance a few rounds. Who do you who do you see standing uh, in the who who is your final four? My final four are in Group A: uh, Tomohiro Ishii uh, and Kazuchika Okada, and then on the B B side is Kota Ibushi and Hiroki Goto. And then winning the whole thing. Winning the whole thing, my man Hiroki Goto. Goto, wow! This is uh, you know, this is this is WH Park making these predictions. This is not just anyone that we just picked to make make these selections. Uh, of course, the infamous tournament of 2018 with Zack Saber Jr. running the table. If Goto does this, then I think WH once again on top of the New Japan Cup pick mountain. What what would be Goto's path for you? Goto Goto beats Kojima. He beats Tenzan. And he beats Ibushi, and then he beats Ishii in the finals. That's my path. The thing with why I pick Goto is I, I really think about, like, are they going to waste a real big money match on an Osaka Joe Hall that's only one-third full? I don't think so. I think, you know, the fact that they're going to have fans allowed to be in the building is going to really, you know, sell a lot of tickets, if not sell out what they're going to make available to the fans, right? So I don't think they're going to waste... Uh, like, you know, what, what like, uh, you know, Naito versus Okada, Naito versus Tanahashi, Naito versus, you know, any Ibushi or anything like that for that kind of a show. I think they're going to wait till they're able to like have a higher capacity for their audience. So Goto's a safe bet. Like, Goto will, will be a good match. Goto's, like, not wasting a money match necessarily. Also, it, it doesn't hurt Goto. It's never a bad thing to, like, push Goto to some degree, you know, in something like the New Japan Cup. And he's he is really Mr. New Japan Cup, isn't he, though? How do you guys feel they will be treating the junior heavyweights amongst the heavyweights here? How far would you say, like, the strongest one may go? Or will they kind of, you know, keep, keep the status quo? I, I think that you... Certainly with, like, Hiromu, I think that's the most interesting match on Tuesday that Hiromu has to look solid and go over Honma because traditional booking, it would be, like, Honma beating the junior heavyweight. And I think that that on the first day of the tournament immediately establishes the junior heavyweights can beat the can beat the heavyweights. And uh, while I don't imagine, I, I think Shingo and Hiromu are the two junior heavyweights that will get the preferential treatment in this tournament. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Like, Takahashi is, like, you know, such a megastar, regardless of what weight class he's in. And yeah, I, I see him going up until like, you know, the 
the semifinals, and then he'll bow out to Ishii in my brackets. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could see that. Where I, I don't see any of them going to the finals, but I I, I could see Takagi and uh, Hiromu going at least a, a little bit deep, like to, to your final eight, uh, maybe even four. We'll see. Um, so there you go. That is uh, the New Japan Cup. In terms of the Osaka shows, WH, uh, what what are your thoughts on New Japan's strategy to open up? the Osaka Joe Hall to a third of the capacity, which is not a small number. That's still around 4,000 people. Are you expecting, uh, you know, the capacity to be met of new Japan testing their limits of fans coming to these shows? Yeah, I, I think actually, I think these shows are going to sell out to be honest mm-hmm. with you, because I think there's such a, a hunger for, for, you know, to, to go to a live event. And this is going to be one of the few live events where people can actually, you know, go inside the building. And, you know, New Japan has promised and they've been promising, like, since they went on hiatus during the emergency lockdown that if we come back, we're going to make sure the fans are safe, the staff is safe and the wrestlers are safe. And we're going to take every precaution necessary. I think, you know, they're going to probably announce, like, you have to get here, like, you know, doors open like two hours before normally. We're going to open them four hours early because we it's going to take a long time to let people into the building. And I think when they leave, they're probably going to do staggering like departures like, OK, this section you can leave, then wait. And then this section can leave. So but I do, I do think they're going to do very, very well as far as like attendance goes um, for, you know, one third capacity. Uh, also, I think, you know, Osaka is a, is a really good strategic location to draw from different parts of Japan because they're kind of, you know, in the middle of Japan. Like you can draw from Tokyo, from you know Yokohama. You can draw from like Fukuoka, from Ishikawa Prefecture, and like from Nagoya area and from Shizuoka area where I live. It's it's a really good central location for all these major metropolitan areas that to you know take the the bullet train or whatever to go to Osaka to see the show. Do you have any indication on how long it might take for other regions to open up? Uh, like for crowds. I don't. For crowds, I don't know. Like, I I don't know what's going to happen in Tokyo just because, you know, there's always new infections cases, you know, like cases of infection in in Tokyo happening almost daily. Not not to like alarming degrees, but still enough where I would be like very cautious about opening up um, Tokyo. But I mean, that's not to say like other other companies are running Tokyo with some limited number of fans, you know, like from your small indies to like your semi bigger companies like NOAA and, and, and what have you. So, you know, Tokyo is pretty much open. Other, other regions, it, it's depend on those prefectures. I think, I think they're, they're putting it in the hands of the prefectures, like the, with, you know, guidelines from the, the federal government. I have no idea. Like just for me, like I, I'm still waiting for, you know, my work to reopen, <laughs> to be honest with you. So I don't know what's going to happen with, with wrestling per se, but Tokyo and maybe like, Osaka are going to, you know, kind of be the places to go to watch live wrestling. Well, WH, I want to thank you for uh, stopping by to give us your, your predictions and some of your thoughts on uh, New Japan's uh, resuming the, their shows this week. Uh, we'll definitely uh, be back uh, before the tournament's up uh, with a new uh, post pro res. We'll definitely get you back before the Osaka shows. And uh, can you let our listeners know about your very successfully uh, new New launch series, the long and winding Royal Road that has just been met with uh, tremendous praise since uh, you dropped episode zero. Yeah, it's uh, it was like 
really nice to see a lot of positive feedback for the for the prologue episode with uh, Joseph Moncilio, uh, where we look at the the creation of the uh, Triple Crown Heavyweight Championship, the most important title in the history of all Japan pro wrestling. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm really excited. I've got like some some guests, future guests lined up. I've I've already recorded episode one. It's it's going to be sent up to you guys uh, soon. I just need to get another file from my guest when uh, when he's ready to send it to me. I'll, I'll upload it to you guys. Uh, but yeah, it's I won't say who it is. We'll we'll keep that a secret for now. Uh, but it's it, it should be a, a treat for some of the the the, the fans of uh, post wrestling. Very familiar person to uh, our listeners here. Uh, I, and I'm excited. Like I'm I'm gonna you know get around to recording my my profile episodes. Like the first one I'm gonna do in in the next several months is going to be on Mitsuhara Misawa. I have a I have a guest in mind for that. I talked to that person. I said, would you like to do that? And they said, yes. So I'm excited about that. And it's just, you know, it's just, I, I almost wish, John, I almost wish I was doing this weekly. But then I thought about it and like, and I thought, no, actually, I'm glad I'm doing it only monthly. Oh, we're, we're, work smart. That's, that's the key. Longevity. That's what we want. Quality, not quantity, right? Oh, it's always quality from you, WH. Uh, Brock Lesnar's we, schedule. Yeah, I, that's uh, if only I got the Brock Lesnar money, but that's that's neither here nor there. Can I just say one thing? What one thing I, I I didn't miss from yesterday's show? Like I was like I could have done without, and that's and that's like the Bullet Club and their shitty gear. Like Ichiro with his trash bag, Ghetto with his stupid fucking hat, and most especially Jado with his stupid fucking bandana, his stupid fucking T-shirt, his stupid fucking kendo stick, and especially those stupid fucking skeleton pants. Could have done without those. They could have stayed on hiatus, and I wouldn't have missed them. Fuck that guy. Fuck Jado. Okay, thank you to WH Park for joining us, and that's going to wrap up a monstrous edition of Rewind to Raw, complete with more news, Way. Are, are you ready? Oh, my God, more? Can you handle more? Um, so coming off what I had mentioned earlier about the, the tapings being uh, not happening on Tuesday, uh, Dave Meltzer reporting that uh, – the plan is for all key members of the staff uh, that work the shows as well as all the talent to be tested on Tuesday, uh, which would be the first COVID-19 testing the company has done. So, uh, yeah, same as what I had been told that they will be doing testing, but that's uh, that's for all talent. So a good sign that they are at least uh, conducting their first COVID-19 testing uh, for everybody. So that's at least one. Unreal, so honestly. Like, I know, I know well, yeah, it's a positive, but it, it's also just insane because they've done so many shows they're three months into this oh man yeah but anyway I mean, okay so anyway that's uh that's the latest in uh wwe land but that's going to uh end the show off but uh coming up this week man we've got some great shows coming up including tuesday night it is our avengers endgame panel myself and way are going to be joined by nate milton and brent chittenden to break down endgame that's right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, certainly, it's it's the culmination of two years of podcasting that John and I started uh, way back, and um, it'll be a big discussion. I look forward to talking about it with you and two of the most knowledgeable knowledgeable people I know about the MCU and Brent and Nate. And you know what, John? I'm gonna uh, breaking that the news just keep, keeps coming here. Oh, just bring it. We are going to debut a brand new post wrestling T shirt on this show, and we will Whoa. announce it then. Well, I kind of announced it here, but um, we'll officially launch it when I launch the podcast. So, yeah, we'll, we'll get everybody's reaction, perhaps on the show. So, 
There you go, everyone. That will be up for all members of the Post Wrestling Cafe Tuesday night. Then we've got Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday, along with Up Next. Uh, Rewind to SmackDown Live for all patrons on Friday. And then a new Rocky Maivia picture show coming out on Saturday. Uh, G.I. Joe 2 Retaliation is on the bill on Saturday with Nate Milton. Awesome. A lot of Nate. Uh, for those of you who want to uh, listen to our thoughts on the latest ed- edition of The Last Ride, John and I will be talking about that on Rewind to SmackDown on Wednesday. Rewind to Dynamite. On Sorry. Wednesday. Rewind to yes. Dynamite. They all blend together at the yeah. end. All right. That's it for the show. Thanks to everybody for listening. Tons of stuff that we had to get to on tonight's show. Uh, and we'll speak with you on Tuesday night with Avengers Endgame.